Saludos, mi gente, and welcome back to Salita Stories and Casita Chronicles. This is Bianca. And this is Hasneen. And today we're going to be, we have a special guest with us. I'm going to throw it over to Tiffany Richards so that you can introduce yourself. So Tiffany, how are you doing? Hi, everyone. Uh, it's Tiffany Richards. My pronouns are she and they, and I am the program director of LGBTQ plus affairs, and I'm really happy to be here with y'all today. Yay, we're excited to have you. Yeah, we're, we're really glad. This is like a great opportunity. We've been trying to, you know, get this going, trying to collaborate with everyone at MCD. So we're really excited to talk to you today, especially since it's Pride Month. You know, this would be a good time to make this happen so you can start talking about some of the, the intersections, you know, within our communities. Before we start talking about all that, do you want to maybe give a little bit of a background on some of the work you've done? This is your first year in the director position, so maybe just a little background on you. I actually, I am a UF alum. Um, I went here for undergrad and yeah, had a really great time, got a great education, got really involved in a lot of things, but also kind of started discovering what would ultimately go on to be, you know, the work that I do the rest of my life. So it was at UF that I started facilitating trainings on cultural competency. Um, usually these started with safe space trainings for LGBTQ issues. It was sort of from there that I was just really excited about the ability to talk to folks about issues of diversity, issues of the communities that I was a part of, and to kind of see them grow and develop and like educate themselves on that. When I left UF, I actually was really fortunate to work for a labor union in Washington, DC, where I did a lot of work on diversity and equity inclusion for um, people of color, people identify as LGBTQ, and um, you know, for um for, and for women as well. And so for me, a bulk of my life has been just really on educating, talking to folks about these different things with diversity. Um, I lived in Europe for a few years where I have a I have a master's in Russian, Central and East European studies. But while I was there, I was again looking at the intersection of different issues there. So the intersection of you know race and class as it relates to different social phenomenons and then um yeah for me i just got back to uf in january i started this role and i'm really excited about being here i'm really excited about helping to shape the student experience for um for students to kind of definitely you know improve their sense of belonging to the university and for our lgbtq plus students specifically working with them to sort of just, yeah, come to terms with their identity and to be empowered in that. And for our students who are at the intersection of identities, so who might identify as LGBTQ and a person of color, basically working to make sure that our students feel um, welcome and included in all of these spaces and that we take the opportunity to educate um, them in their own community, but also to educate others. So that's, yeah, that's a bit about myself. So good. Well, and I think that this is a really cool opportunity to be able to talk specifically about the intersection of, you know, LGBTQ plus people and the Latinx identity and how that may come with either different challenges, but then also opportunities. I think for me, I'm, I'm part of the LGBTQ community. And I think um, something that's, that's always kind of resonated personally with me when I think of the LGBTQ community and sort of what does intersectionality mean in that context is that the LGBTQ community is truly diverse. It's truly a place where you can find folks coming from every walk of life, from races, ethnicities, different national backgrounds, religious backgrounds, you know, and it's one of those things where we have within the community the potential to really be able to dive deep and to find ways that you can connect with people, you know, outside of these sort of, you know, these, these typical identities. And so as a result of that, I feel like in being part of the community, we're able to sort of learn how to create space for the different ways that we show up. And lessons from the LGBTQ community can be important for other 
other communities out there. But I think as it relates to maybe the LGBTQ community in America, and we talk about LGBTQ communities of color, I think there's this notion that when we think LGBTQ, we think white. And I think it's important for folks to know that, yeah, like I said, we all show, LGBTQ folks show up with all different identities, but it's also important for us to like challenge that notion that LGBTQ folks are only white. And what does it mean when we have um, queer folks of color, particularly the intersection of um, the queer community and the Latinx community? And what are the things that happen in dominant society that kind of are replicated, you know, within um, the LGBTQ community, but within like these intersections? So there's just, yeah, there's just a lot to, to keep track of. Mm-hmm. Especially like kind of going about what you were saying about things that are kind of happening in general society. This last week, I think we were talking about it a little bit before, this last week was a kind of a big week. There was a civil rights law protections for gay and transgender workers, and then also the ruling on DACA. And so they could, you know, work and all that good stuff. So all that in the same week, it hit. And I remember like just on social media, there was just like a lot of, celebration for you know the fact that it happened and the fact that it did all kind of happen in a week a lot of people like I would have never thought right if you had asked me a couple (laughs) weeks before like what would happen but recognizing you know like kind of those victories but also like the work that still has to be done. Bianca I think you were mentioning also the undocu queer individuals and how this is also that's like kind of again hitting to where this is something that could impact people kind of in that that (laughs) two-way intersection. And I mean, I will say this, I think when I saw, when I heard that, you know, we knew that the court rulings were going to come for me, and I guess I'll say, I'll say two issues. So um, just full disclosure, I came here undocumented, I came to the U.S. undocumented. And so even though I have my, you know, my papers now of citizenship, there are folks in my family, you know, who are undocumented. And that's sort of like the reality of that is still something that's very close to me. So I think that for me as a queer person last week, I honestly felt like, you know, I had a horse in both races, if that makes sense. And um, mm-hmm. when the LGBTQ um, employment protections came down, I it was hard for me because I was just really worried about this being used as a wedge issue um, and then the intersectionality of it. So when I say that, I meant I was concerned that, you know, with everything that's happening politically nationally, if the Supreme Court I was worried that they would rule in favor of LGBTQ folks and then rule against DACA and use it as a wedge issue so folks couldn't say, oh, but the Supreme Court is so bad or it's so this. And would be like, well, we gave you LGBTQ issues. You know, you can't have it all. And I say that because oftentimes um, LGBTQ issues has been used as a wedge issue. Sort of, you know, we're giving LGBTQ folks these rights and it's not that it's coming at the expense of other groups. However, Mm -hmm. it's sort of framed that way it's kind of used, it's these, these, you know, wedge issues and issue that's used to sort of divide um, groups that would have a lot in common. And so that was my concern. So I was actually, I was excited on Monday, but I was like, I'm not going to say anything until DACA comes, DACA comes out, because I was concerned that, again, they wouldn't have passed it. And then, you know, what happens for the folks in the community who are holding both of those identities? You know, I think when we talk about, and I honestly, I feel as if LGBTQ folks who were waiting to hear back about DACA, that that was the intersection that mattered. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we, we know that in the US things are, for as it relates to LGBTQ folks, certainly before 2016, things were very progressive. And so in a lot of places in the world, it still is dangerous to be queer, to be outwardly visibly gay or to be trans. And so for me, I guess like, I was excited that we won on both ends, but it was also sort of just, you know, maybe this is the cynic in me for the LGBTQ protections. There still needed to be some support at the state levels to enforce that. And then for DACA, it's, 
it was a stopgap measure initially and we should have passed the DREAM Act. And so it's sort of being grateful that these changes are happening, just, but also mindful of the ways that, you know, especially for the folks at the intersection, um, it's still impacting them, you know? And I just, I'm, I'm mindful of the ways that politics and policies can be used, again, like I said, to divide communities who have a lot in common. And my concern was if, you know, if they pass DACA, maybe folks who are part of the LGBTQ community who would have been inclined to support, to support DACA, to support protests against the Supreme Court might have sat that out since they had theoretically gotten what they wanted. Mm-hmm. So that was sort of like my stand, you know, my take on, on last week's like news. Well, and I think, I mean, I think that last week was also a very good week when it came to those things. However, something that I read online that was very impactful was that like, these are the minimums, right? Like these rulings are only a minimum and they're just saying like, okay, so this is the rule, but it's not saying how are we going to move forward? How are we going to make things better? Like for example, DACA, I mean, there's still not a path to citizenship. It's just saying that DACA is legal, right? And so what they're saying, and you kind of mentioned this too, the Supreme Court isn't giving any guidance to states on how to move forward with making sure like rules and regulations and policies that they're not going to fire. They're just saying it's not legal to fire somebody for being gay or transgender. And so I think one of the big things is like, how do we move forward and make sure that as a community and as a society, we are being intentional about these things and actually setting protective policy, right? From a place where we do have power, which is essentially like, who are we voting in? And that's kind of what it comes back to. And even that's kind of scary because Latinx voting isn't to where it should be usually. And that's a whole different conversation. But that was something that kind of came to mind as well, you know, like, yeah, these things are great, but they're just the bare minimum. And how do we make sure that we kind of beef up these minimums to actually have them be really great policies, rules, regulations within our country to give that equitable like existence, right? Or provide that option to have an equitable life. Yeah. And I think just like the conversation, I just like loved listening to it. I'm like, yes, yes. You know, like, thank you. <laughs> but because you both did a great job of kind of summing up like policy, always important. It's one of like the underlying things and, you know, the, the things that are happening in the politics. But I think part of that is then also having those conversations about those issues, you know, within the home, within our our own communities. Um, so like kind of bringing it down, right, to like individual levels. Well, like what can we do to help further some of these these things? And so Bianca, you, you said it, right? You said that next, right? Just having sometimes that that kind of conversation. So I think HLA has been Hispanic Latinx affairs. Um, it changed from Latino affairs like pretty recently. And I know Latinx has always been kind of like a thing, right? So inclusivity of language. I feel like, you know, when you try to be inclusive, that includes the language and the terms that you use. For our community, for those who like speak Spanish, this may be difficult because the, you know, the language itself is gendered. Like it's, you know, Latino, Latina, that like everything has, like it's, it's all gendered. And so it could be difficult when we're, you know, trying to make sure that we're being inclusive to those that maybe don't, you know, kind of go in that binary um, mm-hmm. who, identi- who identify with something that's more along a, a spectrum. Do y'all want to talk a little bit about, you know, that kind of conversation with what the X stands for? 
Well, Bianca, you can maybe start on what the X, or I can maybe give a bit about like, just like language, inclusivity of language. Um, you know, as a, within the LGBTQ community, I think oftentimes it was in that space that we started talking about, you know, how, how language is inclusive, kind of really challenging maybe the words that we use daily, the phrases and kind of the space that they create. And so I think sometimes folks are like, oh, language, we have to change everything, our words. But then I would challenge folks to kind of think again about how, if we're intentional with our language, you know, if we're intentional about the things, the terms that we use, the phrases, how can that impact folks feeling included, folks feeling involved? And so I think that it's also important for us to know the ways that um, language reflects our past, our biases, and all of these different things. I think as it relates specifically now to like, you know, to um, making language inclusive, particularly languages that are gendered, I think it's been an interesting process. So in English, we're able to just kind of like maybe stop saying, hey guys, you know, to a room full of mixed folks or things that simple. But when you have languages that have just gendered endings, gendered objects, you know, it certainly can be a bit difficult. What I will say is someone who is, you know, not a Spanish speaker, I appreciate the ways that folks within, within their respective communities have been trying to kind of, um, make language more inclusive, but I'm also aware of the, of the, of the struggles. Like, Hasmin, you just mentioned, you know, like, you know, we just start kind of um, drop Latino, but I remember when I was starting to work and it was the at, like the amp, the at sign that uh -huh. was, and then I was just like, but how do you, how do you pronounce that out loud? You know? So I just feel like there's, yeah, there are all these different issues where you really do want to be inclusive and you really do want to like respect folks, but then there are actual like limitations of, how the language is structured and how it's used. So I'd like to hear a bit um, about Latinx. And then I had a question about a new term um, that I'd been hearing. So I think historically, and this is all really interesting because I feel like as my education grew, so did the terms. I remember like when I was smaller, right? Because I feel like, I feel like this conversation is also like adjacent to gender, right? And like patriarchy. And so when we think of Latino, previously, anything that ended in an O meant everybody as well. Even if there was kind of how you said a room full of mixed folks, we'd be like, oh, Latinos, because that meant that it was just everybody. To which one time I remember I was in high school and I had a Cuban professor or teacher and she was like, why is it that if it was a group full of men and women and we say like los niños, the girls are like, okay, whatever. But then if you say las niñas to refer to everybody, the boys are like, well, I'm not a girl. Like, what's wrong? Why, why are you calling us girls? Blah, blah, blah. And they get like super offended. So first it was, you know, Latinos. But then I think kind of the community started coming around and noticing that we needed to be a little bit more inclusive. So then it was the at sign. So kind of around when I was in college, you would put the at sign and then I started hearing conversation around like, okay, well, if we put the at sign, the O, which is masculine generally, is over the A, which is then I get, again, kind of like showing power of the men over the woman. And I was like, wow, I did not think about that. But it's true. Like, what's going on? And then as I got into grad school, then I started hearing Latinx. I was like, okay, interesting. I did a little bit more research. And then from what I understand, the X is supposed to be kind of like in math. 
when you have a number but you don't know like which one it is and it's supposed to be a lot more inclusive but then also take away kind of the, the binary thinking of either it's either masculine or feminine but also it can just be right for people who aren't within the binary and so I was like oh okay well that makes sense but then I think conversation around the X started to happen to where I think it's a lot more like United Statesian like rooted within the United States and like the the language of the United States, so like English. And so they started kind of saying that, you know, because to say Latinx, Latino, it's rooted in Spanish, the X is not part of, like it doesn't make sense for the Spanish language. And so really trying to critically think about it a little bit deeper and a little bit more and I think that's kind of where I, I like kind of stopped doing some research because I'm not in school anymore, which maybe I should do a little bit more research. But that's kind of where I understood that the conversation has been last and where it's kind of ended. But I think that, you know, language is always changing and there is power to language. And so when we're thinking about what does this mean, I think that there's always room for growth. I think that like... That's that's just such a perfect, you know, encapsulation of how language is always changing. And I think um, as you kind of even talked about the the growth or or the development of um, a gender inclusive like suffix in Spanish, you said a lot about languages, I think, can apply to just like terminology within the LGBTQ community. You know, I think this notion that particularly when folks see LGBTQ or they see these other letters, it's always like, what does it all mean? You know, and. And like they're, if, you know, if they learned that, that they only saw LGBT once and now there's all these extra things, I think there's this fixation on assuming that language or terms are going to capture it all. And I think there needs to be this flexibility um, with like, you know, with language evolving, with language, the purpose of it being, you know, descriptive. Um, and so kind of as long as people show up and show up in different ways, like language has to kind of reflect that and change with it. And so a lot of the things that you were saying about um, Latinx and then the at sign too were things that I've been hearing primarily around how in the it's LGBTQ issues or progressive values when it comes to LGBTQ issues is viewed as being like an inherently Western thing when that's not necessarily the case. I mean, we've had, mm -hmm. you know, we've had different sexualities and different um, trans and non-binary concepts across cultures and time and space. And it's actually homophobia and transphobia. That's actually very much specific to the West. But I've heard the argument that Latinx is almost like a colonizing of Spanish. As you said, it's rooted in, you know, the American use, or yeah, the, the US sort of like way of like approaching things and like that the use of English. And so I have seen folks, I've heard from folks within the community who who made who made the argument that you know that wasn't a Spanish-inspired thing that was more of queer theory, you know, um, Western folks trying to apply that. And I've been hearing from other folks that like there's a use of a term Latine that's been used that was sort of um, viewed as being more inclusive. And I think I think another thing too I heard was that the X was sort of like you say it's it's how, how did you you know not how did you pronounce it but just like Latinx just didn't work for folks. So it just, it, it just looked so inherently not Spanish. You know, mm -hmm. it was almost performative is what I'd heard some folks kind of say. And so I, I feel like if Latine comes from the community, I just want to see if you all had heard that or if, you know, cause I just heard it like, like within the last few weeks. And so I was like, ah. I, I think I, I heard it. So there's this show on Netflix called Casa de las Flores. And I think there's a trans woman on the show 
I think the third season there was maybe two for a little bit and they were kind of arguing about something and then they gave it like a masculine connotation and then like a feminine and then they said they added the e and I was like oh okay interesting and then we also just had the compañeros de correo which was an initiative that we had with Oregon State and as I was speaking with the director of the Centro at Oregon State and we were thinking of like how do we say like compañeros, compañeras and we're like how would we add the x and so we had a conversation and she was like have you heard of the e and I was like oh kind of briefly and so we named it compañeros de correo to have it be like gender neutral. I think it's something that's starting And from what I understand, it did originate in like Spanish speaking countries, which would be a lot more, I guess, organic to the Spanish language than kind of like the United States lens of trying to kind of add something to the Spanish language. But also, I think that, I mean, there are a lot of Latinos in the United States who, who are bilingual. They speak English and Spanish. So I think that there could be kind of a conversation there of is this something that is being brought into like the academy and into knowledge circles and by scholars who are Latin American, meaning they have roots in Latin America, but then are also deemed American, meaning from the United States. And so they're kind of bicultural is it something that we're creating or is it something that is being created for us? And that's a whole different conversation, but I think that there could be some power there too, depending on who you talk to. I don't know. It's a cool conversation. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. Sometimes folks are like, yeah, it's just semantics, but it's sort of like, as I was saying, like, you know, languages, language helps build our world, you know? And I think it's all, it's, it's important to not only spend time sort of talking about these things, but also to like let folks know why. You know, we're not just here diving deep into like, you know, just some words for the sake of it, but it's again about how can we be intentional in creating inclusive spaces and creating, you know, equitable practices and policies and kind of that's just creating the space for that is just like the first step. But I think that's certainly an ongoing conversation. And I'm excited to kind of see to see what the discourse says, to kind of see um, if, you know, if Latine takes, you know, continues and the momentum around that grows, sort of just the ways that, yeah, it starts to um, be reflected in the discourse. I think especially when we're thinking of kind of transnational politics, you know, so like I was in a discussion a few months ago and it was a Puerto Rican scholar who was talking about, I think like policing in Puerto Rico but she was saying that there are more Puerto Ricans off of the island than on the island and mostly in the in the United States. And so then I think also of Mexican people because I'm Mexican, um, but also just the messy, the messy relationship that the United States and Mexico have because we are so close together. And also, I mean, just all of the migration that's been happening from South and Central America into the United States to where I think that we're still very much invested. We as Latinos are still very much invested in our home countries. And so when we see things like Alexa, right? When it happened, I think like March-ish around when Bad Bunny's first album came out and that he was having a conversation around that. 
that, and I think also because of technology, that we as Latinx people in the United States are a lot more informed of what's happening back in our home countries and are able to have some impact in a way. And so transnationally, as we think of how are we able to impact through the privilege of being in the United States and probably being a little bit more well off either financially or educationally, how can we impact our home countries, meaning like the country where we have cultural backgrounds, to also be a part of this conversation when it comes to LGBTQ inclusivity? Language is the first step. I think it's the first step in that and even being able to kind of, you know, how do you, how do you even talk about things if you don't have a language to talk about it? And I think also things that I've heard and, um, and it's similar in other languages though, is I think particularly among Spanish because I, and let me know if I'm speaking out of turn, but that it's only just now that there may be inclusive terms for like queer identified folks. I know that um, in the past when I, you know, when we've done trainings, for instance, when I was in South Florida and we, you know, for, for instance, in Haitian Creole, the only word for LGBTQ is a slur, you know, the only mm. term. And so kind of, I see this, this like ev evolution of language and its importance in the fact that um, just given the history of like how homosexuality has been constructed and criminalized and kind of controlled, that in investing in inclusive language, in, um, and in a space where maybe other terms or the majority of terms are pejorative could also be sort of an act of resistance or an act of kind of like engaging folks and educating folks. But. No, yeah, that's, that's actually a great point. It reminded me, so I, I was like doing some reading, perusing through the internet as you will. As so like the Human Rights Campaign website had something mentioned about like those LGBTQ folks who maybe like they're parents may only speak like Spanish how sometimes like there's words that have a very negative connotation that's used to refer to people in the LGBTQ community and also at the Latina Empowerment Symposium Bianca um, there was a presentation on that and talking about how like they didn't even know the presenter I forgot their name I guess <laughs> amazing presenter Ceci Luna Ceci yeah so she they were talking about how even like starting that conversation how do you tell your parents in in their case their parents spoke like kind of Spanish and also other students were sharing but like how do how do I say I'm like non you know non-binary but I'm also like kind of you know identify with this aspect and like kind of just like the words aren't there which then needs sometimes to some like sometimes there's communication that may not be like verbal so like maybe someone just comes with like their significant other and kind of introduces it that way or you know kind of just things that aren't exactly through words but like you said Tiffany like words build our, our world and it's kind of how we communicate how we navigate and how we identify and so I think that's definitely something that like as we continue to have like these conversations both like you know in like higher education and policy but also like just in our homes it's going to be really interesting to see how like things develop as we try to kind of become more inclusive and have more ways um, to kind of talk about these different topics. And it's, I mean, it's, it's just, the thing is like diversity, inclusion, the, 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 the practice or the process of getting along together, it's messy. It's a lot of work. And I think, you know, as we're talking about all these ways that, yeah, we're trying to be inclusive and like, I think an intersectionality and how great it is, I think we have to be also mindful 
that it's because of there's, there's so many intersecting identities and experiences that we have to talk about this. And I feel like we'd be remiss to kind of not talk about how, okay, for if there's intersections within, you know, intersections of the LGBTQ and the Latinx community, um, what are the intersections around class or around race? You know, what are the sort of the differences within respect of like, you know, Latinx communities and then, you know, compared to other folks in the community. And so I think, like, as we started this off talking about intersectionality, I wanted to also kind of just like acknowledge that it is messy, that, you know, what you've mentioned, it's sort of like when, lang- when we don't have language, we have different cues for how we kind of like express aspects of our identity, express aspects of ourselves. And then so, so much of that is culturally determined, you know? So then when we have spaces where there are folks coming from different cultural groups, bringing different identities, bringing different experiences, kind of how, how do we accommodate that, you know? And so, yeah, I think, um, and I don't know if we have like, you know, much time left, but I kind of wanted to certainly sort of touch on that intersection because at the start I'd mentioned it that people assume that, you know, all, all queer folks, all LGBTQ folks are, are not of color. And um, I wanted to talk, you know, specifically about just, yeah, the, the intersectionality and race in the community. And like, as, as you know, Bianca is talking about how folks are connected to like what's happening back at home, you know, how, I guess the question I'm asking is how are they seeing themselves reflected in that? So would it be sort of like for folks who are maybe in the States talking about what's happening in Puerto Rico, what's happening elsewhere, are they also mindful of the ways the privileges or the, the different things that they may have as a result of like maybe being in America or maybe being more white passing or less indigenous looking that, you know, all these things come together. I don't know if it's like the right question, but um, just sort of like, you know, if we're talking about intersections between like Latinx and LGBTQ, what are the intersections within the Latinx community that can maybe cause like issues there with that sort of solidarity? That's a good question. I think right now as, as kind of you were talking, I was thinking of how, how do I kind of influence what's happening in another country? How can I? I can spread the knowledge and I can spread the information, I think, through social media where I'm getting the information, different channels. But I, the biggest way that I can have an impact, I think, is through bringing up the conversations and having those with my family. But I think because of the language barrier, because a lot of these words, kind of how Hasmin was mentioning, I don't know, I can explain them, but I don't have a vocabulary word, vocabulary word for it in Spanish to talk to like my grandparents, my aunts and uncles who still live in Mexico. But I know that I can speak Spanglish here, like with my family, like my parents, my aunts and uncles that are here in the United States. But I think to have a larger impact in kind of like my home country I don't know that's I don't know how I would also maybe because I'm not a citizen also but even Mexico is like very corrupt and so even if I like was able to vote down there my vote probably wouldn't even mean anything so I don't know other than spreading like the word spreading the knowledge I don't know how I could have a bigger impact in another country does that make sense yeah, and I, I think, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking about it, but, you know, you talk about intersection, I think as a community, in order to give attention to that, you also have to, have, you have to be able to critique, right? So a lot of people maybe 
get defensive. It's, you know, your culture, whatever. But in order to understand the the things that are happening to LGBTQ people within our community, you have to understand, like, anti-Blackness. You have to understand all these things and understand, like, Tiffany was saying, like, your privileges. So, like, I'm a non-Black Latinx um, who I don't identify, you know, with LGBTQ, but I have to have these these conversations um, with some people in my family because there may be negative negative views. And so then sitting them down, I'd be like, okay, let's unpack. And I think just having sometimes those like one-on-one conversations could really have an impact to like Tiffany said to to just like, remember remind people like yes you've had you know hardships I'm not here to to this you know disvalue any of that but recognizing the privilege in different ways and how you by just maybe saying something that you hadn't really you didn't even really think about in a room but you don't know who you know there's people in the room that hearing something that you said that you kind of said off the cuff um, maybe not with a lot of like malice behind it could really impact someone um, and how those just like you, you know kind of keeping in the lane I suppose of like how thing how maybe that's how you know your family just talks like that or something like that it's kind of again like that compliance factor and how mm-hmm. those all add up and so I think like personally I'm, I always just try to like you know have conversations with people get different perspectives and try to educate myself on different things but I think as a community that that's also something that could go to those who are more privileged in different ways like whether it's class or just positions of in, in different areas and different spaces and then initiating those conversations and holding place for people to in different spaces as well. I think even another aspect that I just thought of religion Latin America first of all it's very Christian right because you know colonizers came over and like changed us all I think also just even like Catholicism which I mean the Pope I feel like the Pope right now has been a lot more cool about like LGBTQ people and I think his stance on it has been like if people want to come to church let them come to church like we're not going to judge them that's not what we're here for but I think that a lot of people really focus on a couple a couple sections (laughs) of the Bible and they interpret it in their own ways and then which I mean that's a whole different conversation on like interpreting the bible and like all of this stuff but then they use it for malice right especially when it comes to the lgbtq community but i think also with the miseducation and the inability to think critically about things and kind of form your own opinions then you just kind of follow the crowd and whatever the crowd is saying rather than asking your own questions to figure out what it means for you so i think that that's maybe even something that can be happening within the conversations that we are having right of like well if it's actually saying one thing right if one of the ten commandments is to like love your neighbor which i don't remember my ten commandments right now because it's been a while um (laughs) then like are you gonna use one over the other which one takes precedence um especially when we're talking about like human life and are we valuing some lives over others why when like this holy book right says that all lives which can even go into like black lives matter right now and like we need to take care of them right now so many things that are coming together and are a part of the conversation and i and i don't want to like make it seem as if i'm like posing this because i'm i'm trying to unpack or pick at you know issues like anti-LGBTQ issues with communities of color. I think for me from the outside, just because of the diversity of the Latinx community um, and just sort of like, you know, a a relatively collective 
colonial experience, but then like the past hundred, couple hundred years in each, in each respective space. And so I think for me, um, just like the diversity within the Latinx community is something that like I, I find as like an anthropologist, someone who just like loves cultures and peoples is, is fascinating, but it's like when it comes to kind of, you know, dealing collectively with certain issues, I think you all have kind of brought up all the different things to consider to kind of like, yeah, to weigh um, between, between countries around certain issues. So that was really insightful for me. All right, that was a great conversation. And, and I think, you know, we hit on a lot of different really important topics and many of which we could definitely probably go deeper into. So I think that's something that, you know, in this upcoming year, some collaborations between HLA and the LGBTQ plus areas, you know, programming. So make sure to stay tuned for all of that. And we'll be sharing it on our social media platforms and website. Um, and so with that, I just want to thank Tiffany for coming in and talking with us today. We really appreciated having you on. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed the discussion. And I look forward to working with you all, you know, in this upcoming year. Yay. Same. And so now we are going to go ahead and another round of senior send-offs. So our first graduate for this edition of our senior send-off segment is Madison Rodas. She majored in political science and her memorias en consejos say, the people that I have met here have changed my life. They introduced me to this community and it helped me find my passion for my culture and for helping others. I honestly don't know where or who I would be today if it wasn't for those people. They know who they are. As far as advice goes, remember that you have a support system behind you, siempre. It is very easy to feel like you're alone in such a big place like UF. But remember that there are always people that are looking out for you and want to see you thrive. Congratulations, Madison. Oh, Madison, yay, awesome. And our next graduate is Marcos Fiol. And Marcos majored in advertising with a minor in music theory and music composition, which was a certificate, go Marcos. And for uh, their memorias y consejos, they said, my time at UF has been amazing. I have met so many wonderful people here and I never felt alone. My advice to future graduating Gators is to make memories now because the time will fly. Exclamation point, period. That's true. So. And last for today, last but not least, Maria Grosso. Maria got a Bachelor of Arts in Digital Arts and Sciences and minored in French and Francophone Studies. Her memorias and consejos say, Maria Luisa Grosso was born in Bogota, Colombia and raised in Wellington, Florida. She joined the University of Florida in 2015 and pursued a Bachelor of Arts in Digital Arts and Science with a focus on digital humanities and a concentration in French and Francophone studies. During her undergraduate career, Maria Luisa was an active participant in student leadership. She began as part of the member leadership program, Spring 16, later becoming the Vice President of Communications for HSA and external communications cabinet director for SG. Her most proud accomplishment was having the opportunity to serve her, her Colombian student community by serving as president of Por Colombia. In the future, Maria Luisa hopes to help bridge the gap in access to arts education for Latinx students. She began cultivating resources through her senior project, Ser Latinx, a digital arts exhibition which you can visit at www.serlatinx.com which I've actually looked at and it's pretty cool. So y'all should check it out. But congratulations, Maria. So proud of all of you. Awesome. So that finishes up this episode. 
And yeah, thanks for joining us for another one. And make sure to tune in again for our next episode. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.